So we're going to continue uh, this morning in the book of Joshua, and uh, the title uh, today is Rest. We're in Ch- uh, Joshua chapter 11, um, but I-, I wanted to share with you, this is, uh, I told you God has his perfect timing on these things um, whenever we, um, when we kind of seek his will and-, and look to, I don't know, just follow him, be obedient, as Lance shared already this morning, and um, uh, he this is a great passage for today from Memorial Day weekend for us. Um, it comes right here at the end. I told you last week that uh, the, the pace of the enemies of God falling was increasing, going faster and faster. And I told you last week, this week, there will be 11 plus kings fall in nine verses. It, it's the most compact uh, time of Joshua's war. Uh, things are happening very quickly now for Joshua. And yet today we're going to land... Um, with them in the promised land and into the rest that God has offered. I don't know if you caught it. How many of you guys are kind of techno geeks types? You use the internet, you use you know, smartphones and all that stuff. Nobody here. That's amazing. Yeah, I know you are. Yeah. So we got several of us. I was surprised to see this week, um, Google has something called Google Doodle. And um, I don't know if you saw it. Let's see if I have it in here somewhere. Uh, I don't think I put it in here. Anybody see the Google Doodle, Doodle this week? That it was on Friday that had the soldier. Did you? Anybody see it? Yeah. I wish I could have showed it to you. Um, you can't see it anymore because it's gone. That's why Google works. It's there for a day and it's gone tomorrow. But um, it was it was it was something that was written by a student, and the t- the theme for the work was my best day ever. My best day ever. And this student who was uh, in the tenth through twelfth grade. Uh, drew this doodle, and it was of a soldier coming home. And I love the imagery because it had that kind of feeling of it, of like what's going to happen next. There was a picture of, of the soldier, and he's standing like this, kind of in gray, he's grayed out a little bit, and his daughter starts to run to him with a flower in her hand. And it kind of goes to this progression of her running, and he's just waiting there, and then there's this moment at the end, it's the end of the Google Doodle, where he takes a knee with her, and it's in color, and he's holding his daughter again. I have family that serve in the military, and one of the things that they say is so difficult is reintegration after service. Um, some of, some of um, you didn't share this morning because it's too hard to share. Some of you know that if you've known people that served, that reintegration after war is a very difficult, I mean, hard thing to do. The military has gotten better at trying to reintegrate folks. They work really hard at it. I know this because, like I said, we have folks who served. We know intimately how they try to help families reconcile after service. But it's a really hard thing to do. And, uh, and so uh, today we're going to talk about where we find our ultimate peace and comfort no matter what we're doing with our lives, no matter how we're serving our lives. And I think this is applicable to everyone. Um, it's in the word of God, and, and it's applicable to all of us at the same time. So if you would, please pray with me. We're going to turn to Joshua 11, and we're going to uh, spend a little time in Scripture this morning. Father God, uh, we thank you for uh, your word. We thank you for the truth that Jesus taught his disciples about what sacrifice looks like. 
And we thank you even more that your Holy Spirit compels us uh, to find security in you. Uh, I pray, Father God, for every heart and mind here that would be open to hear what you'd have to say to us. Father, I, uh, I confess that we are sinful people, and that if we try to make up our own ideas, it's going to fall short. So we want to cast those out, and we want to hear you speak to us, Lord. What would you have us to know? We ask you to do a miraculous thing, and that you would speak to each heart and mind here uh, in our innermost being, compelling us toward truth. May you be glorified as we examine your word and hear about your people and your faithfulness demonstrated over them. We pray this prayer in Christ's mighty name. Amen. So turn with me, if you would, to Joshua chapter 11. It's on page 156, I believe, if you use one of our Bibles. And we're going to pick up here in verse 1 and just read through and, uh, and hear the, the continuation of the story of Israel. When Jabin king of Hazor heard of this, that was heard of Joshua's victories, he sent word to Jobab, king of Madon, and the kings of Shimron and Askaph, and the northern kings who were in the mountains, in the Arabah and the Karanath, in the western foothills, and in Naphoth, dot on the west. Dor, is that Dor? I can't even see that. To the Canaanites in the east, and the west, to the Amorites, the Hittites, to Perizzites, the Jebusites in the hill country, and the Hivites below Hermon, uh, Hermon on the region of Mizpah. By the way, I want to say I'm just masking all those names. I mean, I'm, that's you know, terrible, but I'm just messing up all those names. But the truth is that we don't want to get distracted. I want you to hear the, what's happening. Lots of people he goes and rounds up. Listen to verse 4. All of them came out with all of their troops and a large number of horses and chariots, a huge army, as numerous as the sand on the seashore. These kings joined forces and made camp together at the waters of Merom and, uh, to fight against Israel. Now, what's funny is if you've been with us for a while, you know this is not the first time that kings have gotten together to fight against Israel. But this is the largest coalition of forces to face him. This is... Uh, an impressive sight. They, they came out of all the hill country, all the sides. They came and they began to take a final stand against Joshua, Israel, and the people of God. Uh, I don't know if, if, you, if, you, if you read in there, there's, there's a lot of kind of grandeur, this huge army, the word says in verse 4 is the key verse here for the first part. Huge, they came out and there was a huge army, as numerous as the sands on the seashore was this army. I mean, the biblical writer is trying to get us to understand there's this massive army that's formed against Joshua and Israel. Now, you and I read this through the context of Joshua, and you go, well, it's a foregone conclusion what's going to come next. You know, God's on their side. They're going to win. But the truth is, in the moment of battle, this begins to look insurmountable again. I want to talk about this from two different perspectives. The first is this, if you're one of these kings. You see, they keep thinking the thing that was done wrong is they didn't get enough people on their side. And so this time, instead of five kings getting together, it's like 11 plus people groups. It's this ridiculous number of people. And they're all going to get together and they're going to once and for all take care of Israel. They were feeling pretty confident. I want you to notice two things that are mentioned here in this battle that I find are unique. They bring out their horses and their chariots. It's a big deal. These aren't just like peasants with stones. These are professional warriors. They bring out everything they got, every bit of armor to fight God. That's their perspective. We are going to win. We're going to win. 
We got the equipment, we got the people, we got the numbers, we got everything on our side, and we're going to win. When you're entering into battle and your army looks like the sands on the seashore, you feel pretty confident about what's about to happen, right? You feel like you know what's going on. The other side of this equation is Joshua and the people of Israel. And they see these armies begin. These guys have been fighting and fighting and fighting. You remember last week we said they went day after day to the next kingdom and take it, next one and take it. They've been going and going. And here they get to the waters at Haram. And, and, and there's this massive army that's gotten together against them. I'm sure for Joshua this wasn't a great moment. I don't know why I have this, but I have this idea in my mind to where when he looks out, can you imagine as numerous as the sand on the seashore, when he looks out at night and you see across the waters there, all these campfires, this enemy that just begins to come out of the woodwork, they're everywhere. Joshua and his people have been battling for, for a long time now to take what God has given them. And here in these waters at uh, Haram, all the enemies are aligned against them, a huge army, horses and chariots, and they're just everywhere they look is an enemy. Listen to what God says in verse 6. The Lord Yahweh said to Joshua, do not be afraid of them, because by this time tomorrow I will hand them over to Israel slain. You are to hamstring their horses and burn their chariots. He's like, tomorrow you will be given these people. You'll be given victory. I think about our own life, and I think about what, what this looks like for us, and I think one of the first principles we take is that you and I begin to find security in all the wrong things. We find security in all the wrong things. Uh, I don't know what it is for you uh, in your life. Uh, I know one of the things I was convicted about is we, we teach something here at financial, uh, Family Bible called Financial Peace University, and it's about getting peace through having your finances under control. But let me tell you, it's a great, awesome thing. And yet, ultimately, we don't find peace in our monetary wholeness. We don't find security in that. Not real security. Um, maybe for you, it's, it's your achievements, the things that you've accomplished in your life, or your career, the way you're working, the, the goals that you have for yourself, and you take security in all the work and effort you've put into that. Uh, I was reminded last week, as our, my, my dad joined us for worship, which was awesome, I was reminded, he told me when I got my college degree, he said, the nice thing, son, is no one can ever take that from you. I think that's fundamentally untrue. That, that institution can become discredited. They could say, nah, you don't really have it anymore. People could stop honoring degrees. Have you noticed that? I mean, there are college graduates that have degrees in their wall that are, that are meaningless. Not because they didn't work hard. Not because they didn't do what they needed to do. See, it was taken away. You can't find your security in your achievements or things like that. Uh, some of us find security in our relationships to others. We say, that's what defines us. We have confidence because of who we know and how we know them. And all these things, we, we can find ways um, to get our, our, our uh, security in other things. Maybe it's in who I say I am, my identity, right? Maybe it's my prowess or my ability or, or whatever it is, you know. Um, you begin to understand your life through a warped lens of what you can do. As a matter of fact, I want to remind you of this. This is the fundamental sin of the Bible, now, it's not a sin of the Bible. It's a fundamental sin we see demonstrated in the Bible. 
when the people of God begin to think how, how great they are doing, it, it's, it's not long before there's a, a major fall in their life, right? Um, think about the Tower of Babel, right? They were building it up to see how great we can be. Uh, you think about the New Testament, the guy who was building bigger barns for his stuff. You, you think about the guys who are going, you know, next year, we're going to have even more profits. And the, guy, and the guy says, wait a minute, you should say, if the Lord wills it, next year you'll have more profits. Don't presume upon next year. We have our security. You see, there's a disclosure, a, 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 a showing of being, having our security in the wrong places. I, um, I find it interesting, and this is, a, this is a hard thing, but I find it interesting that, that God says, tomorrow I'm going to give these people into your hand, and then you're to hamstring their horses and destroy and burn their chariot, chariots. Now, I think that's a horrible idea, right? And I'm thinking, well, what in the world is going on with God that he would say, you know what, my beautiful horses that I created, they're gorgeous and they're glorious, I'm going to have you destroy them tomorrow. And I think that we don't, and this is a hard thing, but we don't understand how offensive it is to take something that God has given us and find security in it and not in him. What I'm saying is like the kings came with their chariots and their horses and they're like, we're going to win because of what we have. Right? And, and uh, God says, no, tomorrow I'm going to deliver uh, you into the, your enemy's hands and the stuff that you have is going to be Meaningless. Meaningless. There has to be a, um, uh, something profound there that God is doing uh, to show us um, where they were finding their security. By the way, both uh, for the Israelites also. I mean, not just for the enemies of God, but for Israelites also. They were, they were afraid because of what the enemy had. And he says, so what? It's not where real security is found. I don't know what it is for you. I, I talked earlier um, I talked to you earlier about um, the complicated nature of our lives even these days. The complicated nature of how we are. You know, in Illinois, we have a lot of things going on right now. It's kind of a mess, isn't it? In our state, it feels overwhelming at times. Even in our city, it feels a bit overwhelming. One of the things that I was convicted about recently was this issue of concealed carry that's going on in the state, right? Um, and, and because, and I'm, why am I bringing this up? <laughs> you know, I just feel like, what is going on with this issue? There's part of me that feels like, yeah, you know what? If, if the criminals weren't sure who's carrying a gun, there's going to be less crime because criminals are carrying guns, right? I don't feel less safe with trained people who have concealed weapons. Yeah, I'm cool with that. But the flip side is, do I think ultimately me carrying weapons is going to save me? Maybe for a day, maybe for an incident, not for eternity, right? Those things will pass away. And, and so it, it's every, no matter where you look in your life, I hope you see that it's, it's, it's not, it's, it's complicated, and, and yet we're to find our ultimate security elsewhere. Our ultimate security is not found in our ability to protect ourselves. As a matter of fact, I want to remind you from the book of Acts, um, Peter and John were talking to the Sanhedrin and the rulers, and they said this, salvation is found in no one else, because there's no other name under heaven given to any man by which we must, listen to the word, be saved. 
They're talking to people about what's, what's this about? These, these folks were watching these guys and saying, you're causing a, a, a mess in our culture. What's happening? And Peter and John go in and they say, listen, all we're doing is telling the truth that nothing else is going to save you. Not only is nothing else going to save you, but the one thing you must have to be saved is a name above all names. It's the proclamation of the gospel. Well, the, the second thing that happens here in this passage, and it comes up, and we've kind of already hit it a little bit, but it's um, in, picking up in verse 7. Check it out. It says, so Joshua and his whole army. Oh, wait, wait, wait. Before we move on, I want to say this to you. Um, and this was kind of obviously a begging the question here, but where do you find your security today? I mean, push comes a shove into the road. What are you banking everything on in your life? I think that's worth thinking about. Now, picking up in verse 7 with me. So Joshua and his whole army came against them suddenly at the waters of Hamorim and attacked them, and the Lord gave them into to the hand of Israel. They defeated them and pursued them all the way to greater Sidon, to uh, Misrephoth, um, Miam, Miam, and the valley of Mizpah on the east, until no survivors were left. Joshua did to them as the Lord Yahweh had directed. Listen to the word. He hamstrung their horses, and he burned their chariots. There was no relief from God. Uh, Joshua did, obediently did exactly what the Lord had commanded him to do. And this brings up our second uh, our principle, and it's this. All our false security will be destroyed. And I think um, this is uh, a loving act of a loving God. But I think that the things that you and I cling to for our security that are not of God, he will take from us. He will remove them from our life. You know, earlier I, was, I went through the list of maybe what makes you secure, what makes you uh, confident in, in your ability of, of, to live well or whatever it is for you. I've found that God lovingly removes these things one after the other and asking the question all the while, what are you counting on, disciple? What are you counting on, my child? If it's money for you, one of those money, it just, it just, the, the stilt's taken out. You know what I mean? Nothing more tragic than someone that gets in their life counting on something to realize that in their life it can't deliver them. Right? Just sick. I mean, just soul sick. Realizing that nothing that you, you have done is going to matter. Nothing you've accumulated, nothing that you've held so fast to, not your pride, not your purpose. It will be taken from us. I sense that. And here in this text, the very things that they all counted on were taken uh, from them. Everything. I want to, I've mentioned this to you before, but I want to share it again with you because I think it's so profound. Um, uh, C.S. Lewis uh, wrote a book called uh, Surprised by Joy. And uh, in it, he talks about uh, his wife passing away. And he's a great Christian thinker. And um, he'd taken a lot of confidence from his relationship with his wife. You know, you're in a great marriage, right? Praise God. And uh, he was weeping with her at her bedside as she was passing away. 
And he said, oh, that the Lord would let me go with you. That in the same instant, we could be delivered into his hand together. And his wife, so much wiser than he, said, darling, even if we went at the same moment, we would enter separately. Right? I mean, he had so much confidence in that relationship with her. If we could walk, think of if we could walk hand in hand into eternity, it would be better. But even that, God says at the end, no, I'm going to bring you home. I'm going to deliver you. You will depend on me. It's a profound reality that all those false securities in our life will be destroyed, and sometimes with with um, uh, in surprising ways. Uh, the idea of being destroyed here in Joshua, by the way, it's, it's, um, I'm going to read on here in, um, in verse 10. So Joshua turned back and, and captured Hazor and put his king to the sword, uh, Hazar, and had been the head of all the kingdoms. It was the chief king, uh, kingdom. Everyone in it was put to the sword. They totally destroyed them, not sparing anything that breathed, and he burned up Hazor itself. It's interesting. He burned the city. Uh, this is a unique attribute to uh, Hazor here at the end. Um, Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. I'm going to skip down to um, verses 20 and 21. Read it with me again. For it was the Lord Yahweh himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy as the Lord had commanded Moses. Um, at that time, Joshua uh, went and destroyed the Anakites from the hill country, uh, from Hebron, Debir, and Ahab, Anab, uh, from all the hill country of Judah, and from all the country of Israel. Joshua, here it is again, totally destroyed them and their towns. The idea of being totally destroyed here is being delivered over to the Lord, being given over to the Lord completely, uh, to, to give them up for God's glory and God's purposes. And um, this idea, and this is what's so hard, because you think, well, how, how is it so, it's so unfair that God would take these things from me that I get confidence in or security in? But the truth is that as he begins to deepen his relationship with us, he wants us to need him more than anything else. And the things that we offer over to him are for his glory. They're totally destroyed. They're given over to God for his glory and for our good. It's a profound reality, but this is what, uh, the word teaches. Now, the question that I have is, is kind of much like the first question is this. Um, are you clinging to temporary things? Like, this is one of those life-changing questions that if you examine, I mean, I'm telling you this week, as I examine the things that I really hold fast to, they're fleeting. They're so temporary. Like, they don't even make the news cycle. I mean, they're so fast. The things that I think are so important and they're just going away. Are you clinging to temporary things in your life? Well, I'm going to read through here, and we're going to, we're going to wrap up with this final point, but I'm going to, I want you to hear this uh, story. Joshua, in verse 12, Joshua took all these royal cities and their kings and put them to the sword. He totally destroyed them, gave them over to the Lord, as Moses, the servant of the Lord, had commanded him. Yet Israel did not burn any of the cities on their mounds, except Hazor, told you to see there, and which Joshua burned. The Israelites carried off for themselves all the plunder and all the livestock of these cities, but all the people they put to the sword until they completely destroyed them, not sparing anyone that breathed. As the Lord commanded his servant Moses, so Moses commanded Joshua, and Joshua did it. There's the obedience. He left nothing undone of all that the Lord Yahweh had commanded Moses, his predecessor, 
16, so Joshua took this entire land, the hill country, all of Negev, the whole region of Goshen, the western foothills, Arabah, and the mountains of Israel with all their foothills, Mount Halak, which rises above Seir, and Baal Gad in the valley of Lebanon below the Mount, Mount Hermon. Uh, he captured all the kings and struck them down, putting them to death. Joshua waged war against all these kings for a long time, except for the Hivites living in Gibeon. Not one city made a treaty of peace with Israelites who took them all in battle. For it was the Lord himself, verse 20, uh, who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that he might destroy them totally, exterminating them without mercy, as the Lord had commanded Moses. We're going to come back to that in a minute. 21. At that time, Joshua was sent, uh, went and, was, and destroyed the uh, Anakites from the hill country in Hebron and Debir and Anab with all the hill country of Judah and from all the country of Israel. Je- uh, uh, Joshua totally destroyed them with their towns. No Anakites were left in the Israelite territory. Only Gaza, Gath, and Ashdod. Did any survive? Here it is. And if, if you're like me, I mean, I was just wearing out. Listen to verse 23 with me. So Joshua took the entire land, just as Yahweh had told Moses, and he gave it to him as an inheritance to Israel, according to the tribal divisions. The land had rest from war. In the end, the land had rest from war. This last principle is this, that God brings peace. God brings peace. And this is a hard thing to keep our, in our heads when it's, it's a heat of battle, that God is bringing peace to our land. As we struggle to tomorrow, what's coming next, that God's bringing peace to his people. It's fascinating here that the word says, the land had rest from war, right? I mean, we think about Israel. The people of God had rest from war. They were resting finally in the promised land. That's true. Guess who else had rest from war? The enemies of God had rest from war. The land itself had rest from war. Uh, The Hebrew here literally means the dirt under their feet was finally at peace. It was no longer being stirred about by the foot soldiers and the chariots and the horses and the bloodshed. There's something about our creation that uh, is holistic in nature. I'm reminded of uh, in the the first uh, murder in the Bible, uh, the Lord says, your brother's blood cries out from the soil to me that justice would be served. I remind you that whenever Jesus was talking about his uh, disciples proclaiming the good news of the Messiah who is with us, God with us, who came to bring peace, the only way forward, our Messiah, Lord, Master, Servant. When he, they were saying these profound things, the, the, the teacher said, make them stop. And Jesus said, if I told them to stop, the very earth would cry out about who I am. There's something that God is doing in redeeming uh, his people that's holistic in nature, and his desire is to bring peace. The first words Jesus spoke 
after being raised from the dead was peace. Peace. And so my question uh, for you today is this. Do you have rest from war today? I mean, do you have, like, peace today? I told you I want to go back to verse 20, and I want to spend a minute here. And verse 20 says this, because it was the Lord Yahweh himself who hardened their hearts to wage war against Israel so that they might so that he, Joshua, might destroy them totally, exterminate them without mercy, as Yahweh had commanded Moses. And that text, for me, gives me pause. Does that just say that God hardened their hearts to war against him? Is that what the word says here? But you know what I think is, I think that's what it says. But you know what I think is equally profound, as profound? Is that you and I are in a battle right now in our hearts. And the Lord hasn't hardened our heart against him. Like we believe that lie, that we're just one of those, man. We're destined for destruction. He is softening, manipulating, molding our hearts to be open to his word. My experience of Christ, the bringer of peace, has been that of grace for me. I don't deserve it. And so when you read that, my question is, you know, um, are you finding peace in God today? In a real way, a rest. This extended weekend, can you rest? I believe that's the work that God is doing in his people. Um, we're gonna uh, have a time of response here uh, I want to remind you of a promise that Jesus made, and it comes in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. And Jesus said these words. He said, Come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Peace. Today we're going to um, offer communion together. Um, it's not our table. It's a table that Christ provided for us. I, I don't know what battles that you have going on in your life. Like, I have battles, right? I don't know where you're finding turmoil and the dust is all, you know, I mean, nothing's settled. It's just a mess. But today, I'm going to invite you to a table of peace with Christ. If you feel compelled to come forward and share in communion, you're welcome uh, to share with us. I want to remind all of you that um, on the night before he was betrayed, uh, he took bread and he gave thanks for it. And he broke it, and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take each of you and eat from it. Uh, this is my body, which is given for you. And the word records that after uh, the supper, he took a cup, 
And again, he gave thanks and praise. The word says he eucharistoed it. He said, thank you, Lord, for this cup. And he said, take this cup and drink of it. This is a cup of my blood poured out for the forgiveness of all of your sins. And this is what the, the Lord said. Every time you receive it, remember me. I believe Jesus came to bring peace. I do not believe we are done with war. Today, as you feel compelled, I'm going to invite you to come forward and receive communion with Christ. Please pray with me. Father God, we thank you for the chance we've had to hear your word. We thank you for the gift you've given us in your Son and our Savior, Jesus, who we do not deserve. And we come with troubled hearts and minds and lives, just maybe questions or maybe real problems that we're really stuck on. Today we come seeking peace from you. We trust you for your promises. Your word is true. And we trust more than anything else in your Son and our Savior, Jesus Christ, who is giving us more than we can imagine. We receive uh, this gift from you as a, a reminder of your promise to us. And we pray that you would work in us as you will, in your time, in your way. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.